Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast. I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi. Alongside me, as always, is Paul Gillieri. Paul, it's a special day because we have two of our favorite guitarists with us. It's Sergio Filio and Luis Caetano from Black Circle. Hello, boys. Ooh, hey. (laughs) What's up, Jason and Paul? Glad to be here. Great to have you guys. Yeah, I was very excited. You guys are fresh off another live stream. Um, it was a lovely benefit for a massive Pearl Jam fan in art. And um, give, give us a brief uh, rundown of what happened there and, and what you thought about the show. Um, I was missing uh, playing live because uh, we, uh, we, we are only playing once a month, basically. So it's a long time from a show to another. We were very used to play every week. Now we can only play once a month. Uh, it was it was great, great. It was a great set list uh, uh, chose by by the fans. Um, they they donate and requested a song, so we got some interesting bits like "Ghost" or "Off He Goes," "Nothing Man," uh, some songs that weren't uh, on the set list on the recent set lists. How did you feel, Luis? Uh, I was happy with it too. Uh, just like Sergio, uh, I was missing playing live. Um, and I was a little bit nervous to, to get back, hmm. to be honest, you know, it was a little stressful before the show with technical stuff, but then we could get everything in order, like just before it started, you know, so that adds up a little energy to, to it, you know, but, but, but I'm happy with it. I'm happy with the result of it. Uh, the, the sound was, was cool, was crispy, you know, I think we were sounding fresh. Sergio was super happy about his new Watt battle. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone noticed because you can just hear it so much and it sounds awesome. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy with it. Sergio, did you have your new delay pedal as well? Yeah, yeah. A new delay pedal and a new crybaby pedal. Oh my Lord, what a day. <laughs> so it was, it was a, I'm, I'm really hopeful that um, the Arts family uh, gained a lot of money from the donations from this. Um, he's battling some, I think, multiple forms of cancer, which is a absolute fuck of uh, of a situation. So, we well, on that best. note, Jason, I yes. believe, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure people can still go to YouTube, see the show, mm-hmm. and the the QR code, I believe, is is up there as well. So it's yeah. still not too late for anybody to go in and contribute. For Absolutely. sure, yeah. exactly. I have one question for Sergio before we kind of get into why you guys are here. Um, when you played Footsteps, there was an effect. Was that Univibe or was that? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't Ooh. Univibe. <laughs> I love a Univibe. I'll tell you what. Yeah, um, me too. When, when, I, when I bought the pedal, there was Univibe on all songs too. Oh, all right. Well, the reason why we, we have you guys here is because a few weeks back, a website called guitar.com uh, put together a list of their 20 favorite um, guitar moments, live guitar moments from Pearl Jam 
uh, ever since they started doing official bootlegs in 2000. It's been about 20 years. And so they want to do a little retrospective, 20 moments. Look at that. So we figured we should talk about these because we're guitar Pearl Jam nerds. And what better to do that with two more giant Pearl Jam guitar nerds in Luis and Sergio. So what we're going to do is we're going to go on the list here. We're going to play the clip. We're going to talk about it. We're going to play the next clip. And then at the end, we're going to choose a couple of more that we really liked that were on this list from each of us. So let us go to clip number one. Okay, so that was um, from your home country. Look at that, Porto Alegre, Brazil in 2011. And what Guitar.com pointed out was Stone's crunchy bridge tone there in Daughter. What do you make of that? What do you think he's playing? What kind of pedal? What's going on there? Uh, I am a fuzz guy, so I I always like fuzz's tones. Um, And Stone uh, usually uses uh, lots of first battles um and i i actually think that's excellent cool um i love when he does that um and it's funny because um on, on the record that same part uh has some distortion but it's not a fuss it's a much more cleaner distortion uh and when we started playing live uh i always uh felt that this part uh, deserves lots of lots more of distortion, and Stone actually does this, uh, and I I didn't know that until I hear this clip, because uh, Porto Alegre is in the south part of Brazil. I never been to a, a pro jam show in Porto Alegre, um, but it's it's great. In fact, Gossard's tones are amazing. Life, it, it it's a constant. Usually, because you know the opening of that song has. You know, Stone plays that uh, that strat that has the piezo and the bridge, so he can kind of go back and forth between the the acoustic sound and the electric sound. So it almost sounds like he's playing the piezo, but with fuzz, which has this really funky, thick, woolly sound, which is very odd, right? Yeah. I like it very, though. Do, do you guys like it? Yeah, yeah I, I love it. I was surprised, uh, positively, su- positively surprised. I don't know if it makes any sense to you. It was a good but, surprise to me. You know, is a is a little is a little more crunchy than than the, the the original version, as Sergio said, and uh, it just adds flavor to it. You know, and it's on a bridge, which is awesome because it's not necessarily on the most important part of the song, right. but it gives gives a, a value to it. Yeah, and you know, with the bridge too, that it's purely instrumental. You don't have Ed over the top of that. Uh, if there's ever been a criticism of the song "Daughter," it's that it can be repetitive. And I feel like when you hear Daughter live, the first thought that goes through your head is, what's the tag going to be at the end? Hmm. And so to hear them do something a little different there at the bridge, I thought really helped that particular version stand out. And like Luis and, and Sergio said, it was it was a, a lovely little surprise. There's unexpected, but welcome. All right, let's go to number, I guess, 19, technically. Uh, let's, listen to, let's listen to it now.
great phrasing. <laughs> this is this is one of the it, it, to me it's it deserved to be on the top of the list. Really, I agree. I agree. I mean, it's that song right there. That solo alone is cinematic. I mean, it's it, it's like two bank robbers going off the edge of a cliff. I mean, it is outstanding. <laughs> I love it. It's it's interesting because we don't normally associate Stone with solos, right? He only has a couple in the in the, in the old in the whole catalog. And when it comes to the they're so rhythmic and harmonious, though, when he is. does them, it is, and it's they're like little songs in themselves. That's the thing with Stone is that when he yeah when he plays his solos, they're very much um, more breathy. He's he's very um, aware of the notes that he's playing. So if you get a Stone solo and he's in the mood, you get something like this, and it's like, oh man, what what is that? It's like it's very groovy. I like it. Yeah, right. He the the note choices were simple, but they knew how to how to arrange and how to work them in order to make something that just carries us. Yeah, I, I like um, Neil Young's influence on, on Pro Gen Sound. Um, it's, I, I believe it's one of the most valuable things that happens, happened with the band. Um, and I think Stone is the guy who absorbed this influence the most of all of the guys of the band, including Eddie. So uh, that that's amazing. I, I didn't heard this. I, I haven't heard this, this version uh, before and I kept addicted to it. I listened <laughs> to it dozens of times and I, I, I do want to play this song live too. <laughs> all right. Nice. <laughs> it's very well said about Neil. I, I completely agree. Let's move on to uh, number 18. Camden, New Jersey, just outside of Philadelphia in the year 2000. In the year 2000. Um, Mike doing his black solo. I happen to really like this one. I know, I know Paul's going to have a really strong take on this, but I want to know what Sergio and, and Luis think first. Um, I believe the guy who wrote the article uh, went a bit too far. When claiming I, I, this, I agree. I agree with Sergio on this. <laughs> when claiming this one of the best uh, black solos, solos of all time, it's difficult because um, as as the guitar solo uh, is uh, a purely jammy thing, improvising thing, uh, because black does not have a solo originally. Um, I think it. I think the 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 jams has a lot to do with the moment and the the and that that specific show so i don't know uh what's what was going on that day because um i think those uh loose and and jammy solos uh are they they 
do have a lot to do with the mood of the day. So I was not so connected to it as I would expect. Hmm. Luis, what do you think? Um, it's as Sergio said, it's improvised. So it can go so many places when you have, it's like a playing a black solo. It's always having a, a, a blank sheet and you can fill it up the way you want it. So there's just so many ways of doing it. I honestly think it's a great solo, but I'm going to make one comment and it's from the point of view of someone that is always playing the chords at this moment. Mm. Uh, having a good background for this solo is, is mandatory. And I honestly think in this one, Stone is not, is not I mean, it's okay. He's, he's in the pocket, but I can't feel energy from the background, you know? And I think that makes the solo not sound 100%, maybe 80% which is fine. I'm happy with 80%. 80% of stone know? is better than 100% of most. <laughs> <laughs> right? Paul, anything? You know, Jason, we have a segment on this show where we talk about the evolutions of songs. And mm -hmm. we covered Black a while back, and, and what we, we spoke about was how Eddie's vocals have kind of, in recent years, taken a back seat. And Mike's solo has essentially uh, replaced it as the highlight of the song. And as Sergio and Luis both mentioned, it is an Im improvisational solo. The thing is, is, is with these solos, and I'm sure both of you gentlemen would agree, a great solo tells a story. And there, there's something missing in that. Uh, I don't, like Sergio said, I don't know what was in Mike's head that day or what inspired that particular solo. It, it's very frenetic to me. It, it, it doesn't, it, I don't get a narrative out of it. And usually what I find is when he nails that solo, it seems to echo the sentiment of sadness and longing and loss that we hear in the vocals. And in, in that particular solo, it, it wails. I mean, by all means, it, I could not shred like that. <laughs> so I, I'm not saying it's a bad solo. I just think he's, he's done a far better job of creating that element in this song. Well, there is a solo later on in this in, in this list here that is also frenetic, but I think you might appreciate its freneticism. Is that a word? Well, it, it, but like Luis was saying, if if the rhythm behind it sets oh, like yeah. a nice blanket or bed for that, then that that's fine. But I think with this particular song, I mean that that solo at the end is supposed to be that that wail, that cry out for you know it's that it's that lyric, you know. Um, I know someday you'll have a beautiful life. I know you'll be a star, but why can't it be mine? That feeling is now the solo to me when I hear Mike play that. And, and so, because Eddie can't hit those notes the way he did when he was 28. And so that solo has kind of replaced that mood in the song. And, and in that particular version, it's, uh, it, 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 it comes across more like a, a Poison or a Van Halen song. Or oh, something right. Like that. All right. Just, I'm going to defend Mike everywhere. real quick it's and everywhere. say he plays this song you know, a hundred times a year. Yeah. So he's got to change it up a little bit. Give the guy. I, I, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, I was about, I, I was about to say that since black is a, is a staple on almost every, uh, every pro gen set list, uh, it's, it's common to have a day that, that you're not so connected with the song and you're just playing, uh, on a mechanical, Wait, but the point is, is that fine. somebody chose this version as number 18 out of out of thousands of moments. So that's that's the problem we have, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I just it, I don't get it. I, okay. Uh... Let's go. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's go to number 17 here in Toronto. Yeah. 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 
we've got parting ways and we've got Mike doing some sort of like feedbacky harmonic type swell things in your in your left ear. Is that what he's doing, guys? Or, or what, what, what am I hearing? Seems like it is, yeah. Dude, honestly, to me, that's fucking pure rock and roll. That's all about <laughs> it. You know, it's not just playing the notes, but knowing how to handle it and handle them and handle the moment, you know? He didn't have to do something uh, super smart at that moment. He just let that shit shine, you know? Yeah, I, I totally you agree. You top that analysis. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't. It's <laughs> <laughs> I, I, lo- I love the feedback thing. Uh, and I, I truly miss this because when I we play. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When we, are, when we play the, the live streams, we are plugged straight through the desk. So we, d- we don't have amps in the room. So I can't do feedback. So that's, uh, mm-hmm. I, I miss that. that. That's why I, I got a, an Ebo to simulate the feedback thing. Oh, that's smart. Interesting. Anything, Paul, or should we move on? You know, with this track, I love the, the bombastic swells, but I've always appreciated the strings that yes. come with this song. And, and I think that they were able to kind of bring a gravity to the song with that feedback that you don't always hear when you don't have that, that type of a backing because you can't travel with strings everywhere. So I completely agree with uh, Luis and Sergio on this one. All right, let's go to clip number 16 from Marseille, France. It felt like they they kind of stayed in the lane with this, and it it very much sounded the way you might have heard it in 1996 or 1998. And I think that's what made this stand out for the listener is it, it felt like a, a time capsule moment. Um, I don't I didn't get anything that necessarily catapulted this version into somewhere new for me as much as it was. Oh wow, it's just a, a fond memory of some of the boots that I love from the 90s. I want to point out that I'm really happy that Louise had to get up to get into a beer. And um, that's, yeah. Is that Bex? What do you got there? Is it a Bex? Bex, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good for you. Um, um, yeah, uh, Glorify G, I've always loved this song. It's just a straight ahead rocker. There's no frills. There's no messing about. There's no like nuance or subtleties. It's just like a straight ahead rock song, you know? I, I chose, you know, guitar.com said it's a ripping version. So I just chose the back end where Mike is going crazy and Stone's, you know, keeping things tight. I liked it. Um, I don't know how that's necessarily a top 20 moment uh, from the last 20 years, as much as I love the song. And I think it's a great version. Um, Sergio, what, what do you think? I, I do like uh, when Mike sticks to the original, um, not on all songs, but in, in some of them uh, that ha- that do, do have the most uh, melodic um, solos. And Glorify G is one of those that I really like the, the studio version. Um, and I think uh, it's, it's good to listen uh, when the guy sticks to the original with good tone and good intention, good playing. Um, so so it, it's nice. Uh, I, I think one of the, 
the most um, incredible things about Pearl Jam is that the catalog are so huge and they play so many times uh, live that we can balance all those things and have some of the songs being played much more like the originals and other one other ones totally different uh in different versions or different solos or jammings or etc so uh, it, it, it's good I, i don't know if i i would pick this as one of the top 20 moments but it's a, a really good one louise you've we you've wetted your whistle what do you think now um it's it's a good version it's a good solo but honestly uh once again All the other aspe aspects around a solo is what makes a solo. So this song is super fast compared to the original one, mm. which is something I like. And the drum feels, Pearl Jam, they got, they got great drum feels uh, within the solos and it makes it just so much better. And so the drum feels that some extra kick here and there, you know, yeah. they, they, they make me groove to the solo more than the solo itself in this particular occasion, to be honest. Good shout. Okay, let's move on to uh, number 15 in Uniondale, New York. Com says that this even flow solo is like when Mike goes to Mars. I happen yeah. to agree right out of the bag. He's, he's literally trying to rip faces off that of bending thing it. he's doing at the top with the dissonant notes. Oh my word, boys! Can you do that? Because I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's one of the the most iconic Mike things. That's uh, those pentatonic shredding with Wawa or Crybaby, you name it. Um, and and this is a, a a good a good pick because he's tight as hell. He he, he plays and sounds very very good. And, and I remember the guy at. Uh, telling uh talking something about uh even flow being a bathroom moment uh for yeah. the the hardcore fans i i is that true <laughs> uh, i don't know why it would be i mean yeah this is why you wouldn't go to the bathroom as much as you, you might be sick of not sick of but you might be like okay i've heard the song a million times um i i can i can skip it but can, you can't skip it because this kind of shit happens right louise yeah um honestly He's killing it. And everyone in the band, can you notice how much more tight the, the background is? Oh, the, the rhythm is just pulsing yeah. too. He's just with it, you know? So it all makes it all makes much more sense now, you know? 
Is this a um a Sergio or a Luis solo when you guys play it? it it's now mine, but it used to be Sergio's back in the day. Yeah, we we switch it. Oh, you guys are yeah, sweet. but but I enjoy playing the playing the the the, the background riff just as much as the solo, to be honest, because it's you yeah, can just grooves, feel it. Man. You, you know, feel like it, you're yeah. giving like the the stank. You yeah. know, <laughs> thing going on like that's exactly right. That's that's the that's the uh, stone gossard chicken yeah. neck thing. <laughs> you get you get the right. in there exactly. You I got it. it. You got to do it. Uh, you and you, and you you know what? Uh, even flow is a is a a great moment for the uh, the not hardcore fans, uh, the more superficial fans. Uh, they always love this song because it's a, it's a hit. So every time the the middle section uh, has uh, lots of jams um, or other interesting instrumental stuff, I think that's very very good to keep the attention of the ones who are sick of the song. Yeah, because I I I, I really don't know how can uh, anyone uh, felt feel sick about even flow because of the the. The, the early songs it's one of one of, one of the best for me yeah to me as well it's one to to get you get you off the floor elevate elevate your spirit yeah <laughs> all right let's go to number 14 in newcastle australia open your last live stream with porch not a common show opener usually a show closer towards the end do you think what what would you have thought being in an audience and hearing a live open a show and what, what would you ever consider opening your own show with a live i don't think we ever we ever did this uh but we do uh open the show with jeremy once huh i think yeah um I don't know uh, why. I, I don't remember. I can't. I can't remember. Uh, but I don't know. Alive. It, it's great to 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 open the show with an expected song. Uh, but I don't think alive is that powerful to open the show. Luis, um, I honestly didn't feel it. It. I mean, it sounded great, but. Uh... I didn't feel it hit me. It didn't hit me at all. It was just, uh, it just feels, feel, I feel like alive. It's even porch. Uh, it's, it's one of those songs that you, you gotta be heated up. You know, you gotta have that heat going on already. So you can, you can explode with it. Uh, but maybe, maybe I'm just being, being conservative here. I'm not sure. Paul, was it a gimmick to start with it? It's not a gimmick, but I, I mean, even the guitar highlight on guitar.com says that it, it's normally a show closer. So to me, to include this as one of the top guitar moments is it purely because of the novelty of opening the show yeah. with it. I, I, to me, I, I don't think that necessarily, I'm sorry, necessarily fits the criteria, I guess, of what the article's supposed to be about. But I didn't write the article, so... 
There you go. <laughs> All right. I think I agree with you guys. Let's go to what is this? Number 13 in Chicago in 2000. So it's slower, that's for sure. I like that he threw in the uh, the stairway lick. He often yeah. does that with um, with uh, or I should say uh, Jeff often throws in uh, a Black Sabbath uh, bass line in the porch interlude, which is kind of cool too. Um, I don't know how I feel about this version. What do you guys think? I I, I have a guess uh, that uh, Mike uh, found the found the similarity in that in that very moment <laughs> uh when he was starting to improvise and wow that sounds like stairway to heaven let me do it again because he he starts the 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 lick and then he re, he he tries again the next bar or two two bars ahead so that it's nice um it, it it's cool when we find uh those uh moments when we are jamming and find something and, and find some similarities with other songs that that we we really like uh and i i guess that this this is what happened happened to him Luis, do you ever say to yourself you're in the middle of a solo and you start you 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 kind of do a little lick and you're like oh shit that's a that's a little wing maybe i can throw in a little little wing do, do, do you do that or do you try and stay uh in, inside yourself it happens all the time, and it's not something I plan on. It just happens. I mean, not all the time. Let me rephrase it. It happens sometimes, you know. Uh, that's the good thing about jamming, because you have those uh, enlightening moments, and that, that's probably what happened. The way Sergio described it, it, it really seems like it was that way for the way he played, you know. And... Uh, the tone, the tone was was amazing. That's what stood out to me. What do you think, Paul? You're you're a big fan of Crazy Mary. I am. Uh, love Stairway as well. Uh, it's fun. I was just watching uh, the cover of Stairway by Heart at the Kennedy Center Honors. Oh, yeah. it, that is an outstanding version. But um, they really stayed within, you know, the construct of the song and that. And what Mike's doing here, I mentioned earlier that I think. Sometimes what makes a great solo is that a solo tells a story. Sometimes that story is a stream of consciousness. And Sergio's probably right, and so is Luis. This, this might have been one of those rare windows into, the, into Mike's mind. And, and to just kind of see that unfold is really cool. So I, I think it's, it's the, the moment is what's cool, not necessarily the, um, the technical aspects of the playing. As Agree. Yeah, I think you're right. All right, let's go back to Australia. Clip number 12 in Adelaide in 2006. I'm going to take a guess here. You guys can tell me if I'm right. I'm guessing it's either an SG or a Les Paul. He's got a pickup turned off and he's just going doot, 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 
do am I right? That's yeah. probably what happened. Yeah. So Does yeah, he that's play a, a humbucker guitar in that song. I can't recall. In that song, I don't think so, but uh, he he does play Last Pose a lot, but but I don't remember him playing on on Immortality. It's super unique. I don't think I've yeah. ever heard that. That's, that's like a Tom Morello move from him. Yeah, I've I've heard that trick before, but not this way. This 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 is different. He handled it, you know, and it again one note. He came out dirty. You can hear. <laughs> I like Louise uh, singing the guitar feedback. What the fuck is that? <laughs> you know, really paint a picture there, Louise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he like you know. To, in, in, like I said, Morello is so good at this at taking weird sounds and feedback and making it musical. You're, just, yeah. you're using a part of your guitar, uh, a, a functional piece of it, to make something sound musical with one note. That's and it's a modern type of trick on a song that feels very traditional in its scope and its in its mood, right? Right. Yeah, yeah Morella is a genius. <laughs> Paul, this one is. I have very strong, song, you're strong very much, feelings about yeah. this one. Be, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to go off a slight tangent here, okay? So the holy grail of Pearl Jam posters is the 1992 Soundgarden Pearl Jam Houston, Texas print by Frank Kozik. And it has a woman, and she's got her arms up, and she's shirtless. And that poster is like, there. if you can find an original, it, 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 it's, it goes for a lot of money. So in 1996, they went to Rome, and they recreated this poster on November 12th, 1996. And in that show, Mike does what I think is the best, it, it's, it's the best immortality solo that I've heard. So every time I listen to immortality live, I always hope he's going to bring <laughs> that sound back. You, there's, there's no great soundboard recording of it, but if you guys get a chance, uh, go check out the audience recording that that's actually out there. November 12th, 1996. It's a killer, killer version of this, this particular solo. It's, it's, in the pocket, like Luis says, he doesn't do anything special, but there's just something about the story that's being told. And it's, it, it sounds very stone-like in the way that it's mm. very much kind of, uh, I don't want to say formulaic, but it, it just fit the song so perfect. And I haven't heard it since. So uh, who knows? For all I know, maybe it was stone playing. <laughs> but but uh, for, so for this one here, I think um, you guys are nerding out on it. And I completely understand why, but within the the framework of the of the track, the solo doesn't work for me as well. A traditionalist, Paul Gillian. I am. Okay, I'm sorry. all right. I I, lo I love to play Mortality, especially because it it has two solos: one cleaner, and mm. the other more filthy and distorted. Filthy. It's a good word. Let's do number eleven, Mansfield, Massachusetts, night two of three.
I want to hear Luis on this one because yeah, this Luis, sounds Luis, to me off. like exactly what he was talking yeah. about, where you hear what's underneath and and that just plays off of it. Yeah, it had a lot of energy, you know. It didn't have too many notes, and it didn't have to have too many notes, you know. Uh, the bands were on point. The the tone once again uh, on point too, and uh, great energy. That 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 that's just a that's enough for me. I'm happy with it. You know, I I, I do uh, prefer the the original live solo the the studio version because i think it's uh, since it's a, a a long piece of solo uh it's very well constructed in the original uh, and i'm and i'm saying this not because uh i am a traditionalist or something because i am not but on this particular case i i don't like uh the the jammy thing too much on a live um but That being said, this is a great uh, a great pick of of those those moments. I think the thing here with this one, and it, it we've heard him play this solo like this a, a number of times. I think the difference is these shows in Mansfield at this time were incredible, iconic show. The the the, the two the first two nights I think are either back to back or within three days, right? And then they, they try to play away. everything they ever did. Wasn't well, that, that would be night three, which is like yeah. four, which is like a week later. Like they do the two nights. What is it? It's uh, I don't have it in front of me here. This amphitheater and this part of the country and this time came together, and these shows were incredible. Um, as far as energy is concerned. So I feel like that, that probably lent itself to the solo more than anything else. Let's go to, uh, let's, we're in the top 10 now, guys. Let's go to uh, Berlin, Germany in 2012. very subtle it's very um simple but because stone's line is such a simple little riff and i don't think i've ever heard mike do this before but harmonizing yeah do you, do you have you guys ever thought to do that have you have you guys done that on this song no we haven't played the song with the whole band up to now i think at all yeah am oh, i right Luis? yeah we never uh, played we never played this one yeah but but it's a fucking awesome song <laughs> do you like what he did there as opposed to staying in the pocket for sure absolutely louise yeah i i, I always i'm always down to harmonizing so seeing that that that's not what the the dudes from pearl jam usually do right so i'm happy with it you know it's kind of a you know one of the other my, one of my other favorite bands of all time is metallica and you can't think about you know, 70s, 80s metal and the amount of guitar harmonizing. I've, I love that stuff. So to just bring yeah. it out in little sprinkles like this, is just this cool, nice little touch. I'm sure Mike loved it coming from, you know, he loves Mike Maiden and all those guys. So it's probably right up his alley to, to be the one that, that does it as opposed to be having it done to his riff, you know? Uh-huh. I agree with you. All right. Let's, uh, let's head over to uh, closer to your neck of the woods in Buenos Aires, number nine, Argentina, 
That's what I'm talking about. I knew you were gonna <laughs> love this. I knew Luis was you gonna know? love this. Can you feel this energy? Drums killing it. Both guitars killing it. You know, bass right there where it's supposed to be. You know, it's all complementary and what all is one. Yeah, that's I love all that. I gotta say. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> I think Matt really helps out here. I mean, the fact that Matt's doing double time with the snare only enhances what Stone's doing, right? Yeah. And I, I, I love those uh, guitar madness moments uh, mm. when both of them starts to solo. And sometimes we do this the same shit, and it's awesome. Because why not some more guitars? Ready. <laughs> <laughs> why not some more guitars? There's the tagline. The show. <laughs> Paul, you got anything there? This one, this it's one? rock and roll, man. That's that. that, that. Sergio Luis, you guys said it best on that there one. There you go. All right, let's go to um, the aforementioned second Seattle show in 2000, clip number eight. find it interesting that stone is the one doing the weird delay swell psychedelic shit when that's always mike's bag that blows me away oh that's yeah. great that the, the tremolo tone is, is awesome um the, the the that's a kind of vibe that i haven't heard in daughter before uh this most psychedelic thing or maybe since yeah and that's that's great i want to do this <laughs> ah. louise would that be you doing that would you do you play the stone stone stuff in the song uh not not necessarily you know uh i here and there i put on some different stuff but honestly with all this new gear that sergio has been is being <laughs> getting you know he's becoming this guy more and sergio's more sergio's toys <laughs> Yeah, you know, and and honestly, I encourage him because this once again, these are the the details that that make up a, a good rock and roll concert. You know, it's not just the hit songs and the riffs and the and the choruses and the solos. You gotta have all those little spicy things. You do have to have all those spicy things. You're absolutely right. Uh, the second time we've heard "Daughter" in the, in this list. Second time it's been a Stone idea. Do you, right. do you, in both times, it's outside of the norm of what this song is, Paul. Do you, do you like where Stone's getting a little weird? I like it. I just would rather have it more on sleight of hand. Like, why can't I get that on sleight of hand every okay. time? I well, hand, don't, you know? like, don't I, jump the gun because that's coming. I'm up just saying, while. dude, it's just that. that <laughs> I, okay. It was outside of the box and I appreciate it. It was cool. It's the, it was a cool moment for sure. I totally get why it's on the list. I just think that I'd love it if the band did that kind of a thing every time they played a track like Sleight of Hand, which to me is one of the more outside-the-box tracks I've ever done. Okay. Well, maybe when we get to I, talk to I him, agree. we can get uh, him to throw in Sleight of Hand for you. <laughs> Until that moment happens, we're going to go ahead and listen to clip number seven from New York City, night number two in 2003.
love this song. Uh, I I was there that night. I was there. I don't recall thinking. Well, I, I remember hearing the song, going, "Yes, great." But hearing it back now, I don't think he's playing it on the strat like he does on the record. I think he's playing it on a humbucker guitar. It sounds a little thicker yeah. than usual. I, I I've seen I've seen him playing a uh, flying V over yes. the Yes, they did that no six on the uh, Letterman post show live stream concert thing. Yeah, so, I was about to say that about that show. That's a great version. Um, yeah. Do you like it though? Like, do you guys like it when it's a little bit thicker and a little bit more distorted, a little more hairy than the than the album version, like this? I do uh, more more than I like it. I think it's necessary because when it comes to to a song like this, that you gotta do the intro with such care because every note matters and it's just you and the and the vocalist so you gotta have a little when you're playing it live you gotta have a little little dirty so they can sound a little bigger you know because you mm. play if you play it live too clean it just doesn't get it just doesn't get there you know and when you when you hit a wrong note it just it's just there and it sounds sounds it sucks you know <laughs> So you gotta have a, just a little bit of, of a, uh, of a uh, filth. Yeah, I, I, I remember, I remember talking about this with Luis uh, when we were at the 2018 Maracanã show. Uh, that all of their clean tones are in fact crunch. They, they, they don't ever, almost never play really clean, uh, and that was kind of a lesson to us because. Sure. Uh, when we don't get this insight, uh, you keep struggling with the clean parts of the songs mm -hmm. when you're playing live. And uh, as Luis said, present tense has a very long intro. Uh, so if you're dealing with a crowd that's not so used to that song, I, I know that this doesn't happen with Progen, but it happens with other bands. <laughs> uh, you have you have to have something to grab people's attention and such a a cool guitar tone is one of the of those spicy things to grab grab people's attention i wonder paul you know you talk about uh, listening to nothing man and, and stone not playing it clean and crisp and this is an example of mike not playing it clean and crisp do, do you do you maybe not latch onto this version in the same way that you don't latch onto the usual live not clean yeah, version. One of my biggest, I don't want to say a criticism, but maybe it is. I don't know. I, I struggled with the 2000 boots because they, everything was distorted. They, they just never were, were clean for any of the tracks. And, and I feel that what Sergio's saying about, you know, looking at it from a different angle and then understanding that they did so many shows and they put so many boots out and having that different tone really freshens things up a little bit. I never really looked at it that way. So I, I think uh, it, it's important to try and develop a, a greater appreciation for coming at these songs from a different angle when it comes to that. I do still, I think, most appreciate that clean sound. But Luis made a great point about how challenging it could be and when you're playing that many shows that often sometimes you need a little scaffolding a little, little bit of a buffer there to kind of keep you up you know so I, i get that and i and i have something to say about present tense because this particular song uh evolved a lot live when played live because um uh, if you listen to a recent live moment or maybe this clip uh you can 
realize how different the song is uh, compared to the studio version. Vocal-wise, guitar-wise, everything. It, 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 it turns into a more rock and roll endemic sound sounding. Do you prefer that? As a, yeah, I do. But it works as a, well in this song. Yeah, that, but this is a is a this is a particular case because uh, it it changed to another turns to another vibe, different, very different from the album version. Yeah. Okay, let's go back to Toronto. Clip number six, two thousand eleven, night one, and Uncle Neil is in the building. endings always make me laugh because it's like at the end of lord of the rings it's like end just end exactly you know what it's like it's like when you hear a joke that is not funny but somebody laughs at it and so then it becomes funny and then it's not funny again because you're laughing like why is it funny we're still laughing about it and then that turns into more laughter now it's funny again that's what this is it's like okay after like the second or third fall ending, you're like all right let's Let's wrap it up. And then you're like, now I'm kind of into it again. <laughs> and then when it really ends and Ed says goodnight, you're like, that was kind of, kind of cool. I have a guess. Uh, when you're on stage with such a guy as Neil Young, you, you, you don't want to leave that moment. So you, you, keep, you keep doing false endings because you don't want that moment to end. <laughs> I think you've nailed it. Yeah. Luis? Yeah, I got to agree with him. Um, it's funny because that's exactly what you said. You start laughing and you don't know why, and it it, ju it just gets into you, and you're like, "Yeah, now I'm with it," because you know, it's it's a, it's it's unexplainable. We're gonna put a pin in it right there, and we're gonna call that part one. And part two will air next week with the top five best guitar moments of the last 20 years from Guitar.com and our three extra guitar moment picks from myself, Paul. Luis and Sergio. So until we get to that episode next week, we got some usual business to take care of. And that starts with the lyric of the week. And that lyric of the week this week is not guitar related. It's ukulele related. And it comes from binaural with soon forget. Counts his money every morning. Thing that keeps him horny Locked in a giant house That's alarming The townsfolk They all laugh Sorry is the fool Who trades his love for our rise rent Seems the more you make Equals the loneliness you get And it's fitting He's barely living A day he'll soon fall Okay, Paul, um, if you don't mind, may I leave this one off? Or would Please. You, 
Okay. No, go for it. So as Gordon Gecko once said, greed is good, right? Until it's not. Always, <laughs> yeah. Well, I've always had a really hard time understanding the stock market and all the different ways that one can trade within it. Let's just put it that way. I'll put that at the very beginning. I admit my ignorance, right? Mm-hmm. Last week's madness surrounding GameStop and AMC stocks, among some others, in regards to the Robinhood app and the Wall Street Bets subreddit leaves me with a lot of questions. And I read a Wall Street Journal article and a couple other like memes that tried to explain it. I'm probably wrong, but here's what I think is going on. The subreddit decided to fuck over short-selling brokerages. Shorting a stock means that um, people bet that it will go down. Let's, let's not try and understand how this works because it doesn't really matter that, that much. But buying super cheap stocks that these big brokerages were shorting, um, it forces those brokerages to sell their stocks so as not to lose any money. They ended up losing a shit ton of money. Sounds like a lot of Davids just knocked the shit out of a couple of Goliaths. Okay, right. cool. On the surface, right? Meanwhile, a couple of trading apps like Robinhood, which I had never heard of until this week, changed the trading rules out of nowhere, limiting yeah, how the, people... S- the SEC is investigating this right now. Exactly. So they just changed the rules out of nowhere for no reason, apparently, right? Oh, I'm, oh there was a reason. I'm sure. <laughs> well, we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, many of those small traders um, dicking over the big brokerages were pissed because they felt like Robinhood was giving those guys preferential treatment, which we will get to. So all of this says to me is that the stock market is far too complex and it's written as such so that the regular Joe cannot manipulate the market and make money themselves in the same way, aka wealth consolidation by the rich and elite. This brings us back to Gordon Gecko and these lyrics from Soon Forget. What is it about the American story that greatly values greed and wealth often at the expense of others? And I don't mean that necessarily maliciously. It's, it's probably indifference. You know, you get this feeling that many of the rich get rich simply at the expense of the working class. They're not actively trying to fuck them over. They just don't care about them. And that's almost worse to not care. So to be focused on money, to be so focused on money that you stop caring about anyone or anything else, I, I find it incredibly sad, incredibly pathetic. And is that what this Robin Hood CEO guy is like? Is he, is he so in bed with the big rich brokerages who started, you know, finally getting a taste of their own medicine from the little guy that tried to save himself for his so-called friends? And, the, and, the, and those guys don't give a fuck about him. You know, we here, the townsfolk, we are laughing. And we laugh when people like this get roasted. Right. And the big guys who've profited off the little for so long get roasted. You know, people that bet against the stock to do well. What a cynical fucking way to live. I, I don't understand how that's even legal, let alone ethical. But if this Robin Hood clown or some of the big swinging dicks out there at the brokerages who profited off shorting stocks ends up feeling bad, feeling alone, good. That's karma. I don't wish bad things on too many people. I try not to, but I do believe you earn what you get, good and bad. And hopefully right. in time, we'll be able to forget jabronis like this, like the song is talking about. You know, the the lyric, the more you make equals the loneliness you get. And I think that that is really getting lost here because there's so much focus on who gets to bend the system and exploit it. And because, as you said, some average Joes figured out a path to make that work for them, like the collective will actually prevailed Mm. momentarily here. And the audacity is, is the, the thought process on Wall Street. The audacity, you know, it's like, 
Oh, wait a minute. I mean, why is what's good for you is not also good for me? And I think that if we could take a step back here and not get so lost in the accumulation of wealth and just realize we could fight all day long, these two sides back and forth, and they will, about creating pathways to wealth and why these pathways exist for, for one, but not for another, and, and should they, and what's legal and what's not legal. But at the end of the day, like, at what cost? You know what I mean? So if, if you were in on that, if you weren't in on that, if you missed the train, if you were on the train, I think it's important that you take a step back and, and you remember that that's not living. And it feels like it is. You go on a Twitter and you look at these, these threads and people are talking about how much they made and what they're going to do with it. And, and, and they, they get a taste of that. You know what I mean? And, and the hedge fund guys probably, that, that's their average taste. You know, that's breakfast every morning for them, apparently. Yeah. But is that living? Or are these just days that you'll soon forget? You know what I mean? So it's, it's really, it's something that bears worth monitoring, but also something that, that bears reflection that there's a loneliness that comes with that if that's where the focus is. And if, if you can't be happy seeing someone else be successful at the game that you created, then that tells me that you're more interested in screwing someone else over than you are in creating a system that actually allows everybody an equal opportunity to find prosperity. And that, that's just a lonely way to live to me. A rising tide should not lift all boats, apparently. Apparently not. Let's go to our live cut of the week. Ready to stand up! Okay, Paul, live cut. Soon forget we're coming from the, uh, the binaural era. Where are we going? March 3rd, 2003, Tokyo, Japan. Sorry as a fool who trades his soul for a Corvette Thinks he'll get the girl who'll only get the mechanic What's missing? He's living a day he'll soon forget That's one more time around The sun is going down The moon is out but he's drunk and shuddered down, he's pissing. We're all whistling the man who forget. Counts his money every morning. The only thing that keeps him horny. Locked in a giant house that's alarming. The townsfolk.
like this one because uh, it's got a very crystal clear, crystal clear recording. I think we've actually chosen a sh- song from this show before. Yeah. He does flub a line in, in uh, I think it was either the chorus or the first verse or something like that, which is kind of funny. But I love how Ed holds the soon four get at the end there. And what a lovely crowd response. It, it really was. It was great. The, the crispness of these boots, these the, the shows in Japan are among the best. They're some of the best sounding boots. We've talked about this in the past. And I, it was the, the flubbing of the line that always stood out to me. Because when really? I first heard this track, it was just a silly little ditty. I was like, why mm. did they put this song? <laughs> and so the song to me has always felt like a, a kind of a, like a silly track, but in a good way. And, and I feel like that the fact that the line was flubbed seemed to echo that sentiment. And it almost played into the foolishness of the speaker in the song. Um, well, really, it, it's a narration the on it, yeah, the subject. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I thought that that ran very, very well with it. And so it's it, it's a great sounding version of the track and it plays up well. And to me, it, it, it's the ver- it's the quintessential version of a very silly track <laughs> that I'm sure very few people listening go out of their way to see most times. But you know what? Now you know what the best live version is. Oh, uh, yeah, you know. So. All, also equally as silly. <laughs> <laughs> Job done. <laughs> Guys, it's been uh, it's been a very long day. I don't know if you could tell, but we are we are um, we're tired. We've been talking about guitar for a long time. We're happily tired. And now ukulele, I guess, a little bit. But um, we will be back next week with part two of this conversation. Uh, we're talking. We'll be talking about the the the, the top five guitar.com guitar moments, and then our choices, our choices for for those moments from 2000 2020. So be on the lookout for that. Back with Sergio and Luis. And um, until then, you've been listening to the State of Love and Trust. <laughs>